Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Graben from Kinexus, and welcome to t episode 24 of Ask Us Anything. We're, we're joined. Boy, I can't talk today. It's not called answer and <laughs> see if I can answer anything. Welcome to Ask Us Anything. We're joined by Greg Jacobson. Greg, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. I realize I need to add to the checklist to also put do not disturb on my iPad, which is what just went off. I did my phone, but the checklist keeps improving. Yeah, you know, I, I had trouble. I was doing a webinar a couple of weeks ago. I was using my iPad as a second screen. So I could, I was sharing the iPad with the slides and I was using my iMac to do presenter view. And I forgot, like to me, this is not a great feature that text messages come through on my iPad. Right. And I didn't put it on do not disturb. And it turns out like the, the, the notification on screen did not come through on the webinar. Like it would have been, it was a benign message. Right. But right. Um, to your point, we can always be refining our checklists as we discover new failure modes, right? I think, the, and I think that we, we've talked about this a lot. I think for you and I, the best example of a checklist that we have is the webinar checklist because we've been doing webinars now together for well over five or six years. And uh, a lot of people will get on our webinars and think, oh, they, they kind of, you know, 99% of the time go down without a hitch and we'll get on other folks webinars where we're trying to learn something from them and they just they fumble through and the incorrect conclusion to that is that we're these amazing webinar givers and we were you know graced with all these traits as a you know young child and uh, that couldn't be further from the truth it's just simply creating a standard and then every iteration just continuing to enhance on that and as evidenced by the fact that I mean we're, this is probably the 150th or 201 we've done and I just, I happen to have my iPad out today. And um, of course I didn't put do not disturb on that. So please, checklists are not static documents. I know that wasn't a question, but it's a great plug oh, for how effective they are and the fact that they need to be a live, living and breathing document. Yeah, and that, so yeah, that's our first topic. Nobody asked, but there's our introduction. And apparently mm -hmm. I got to get my, my talking mechanism, the connection from brain to mouth working properly. And maybe <laughs> maybe I've got that up and running now <laughs> without having to reboot me or put me in uh, do not disturb mode. But <laughs> in the spirit of um, ask us anything, um, first off, there's a question here is the hurricane, Hurricane Dorian affecting either of you. Mark, you're off in, in Orlando. Well, so uh, for those, uh, you know, this is my Texas office backdrop here. Uh, my wife and I had, it was pre-planned that we were going to be away from Orlando for the Labor Day weekend. So we're here in Texas. Um, Orlando is probably not going to be affected as badly as people feared, but our return back to Orlando is very much up in the air and there's uncertainty about the airport opening. Um, Greg, you're, I know you're, you're fine in Austin, but you have fairly deep connections to the Bahamas, if, if, if you can share a little bit about that. Yeah, I've been volunteering at a medical clinic at, on Kaki in the Bahamas for about 15 years now. And while it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a private island and um, the facilities are, are, are really um, excellent there, um, fortunately, as an island, they appear to be, be spared 
Um, uh, there's a, a number of Bahamian staff that actually run the island, um, sometimes up to 150 or so. And you can imagine all those people have family back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fairly devastating. Um, they mentioned one person's family during the eye of the hurricane sent up a drone and um, it was easier to count the houses that weren't affected um, mm. or were still standing than were. So I think um, we, we will not know the full extent of the damage, but I think this is a time to um, open up your pocketbooks and make sure you are at a minimum uh, just giving what you can to help the recovery efforts because they're going to be um, deep and, and, and last a long time. Um, as evidenced by, you know, Puerto Rico is, is still in recovery efforts. I mean, these are obviously devastating. So my my thoughts and heart go out to um, to our brothers in the Bahamas. Yeah. Well, thank you for your previous volunteer work, and and thank you for um, you know sharing sharing your thoughts. And and we'll we'll try to do something um, to to try to help gather donations, or like you said, encourage people um, to donate as 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 they can. Um, the red, the red cross is generally, I think, uh, the recommendation there. Are there any specific, oh, so we, we can always follow up, um, with people or, or talk next time we people can go and research that. So, um, as far as other questions kind of back in our lane on process improvement and continuous improvement, we always get a lot of great questions. Here's a question from Verender. How can we convince top management that improvement is a key initiative which must be taken during a recession. So at the end of that question kind of slapped me in the face. I'm like, oh, we don't know what kind of economic uh, conditions we're going into. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a couple of parts of the question. One is, how, in general, how do we convince top management that improvement is important? And then is that more important during recession? So I'll, I'll address, I think, to that first part, I, I often hear people ask a variation of this question. How do we convince leaders that engaging everybody in continuous improvement mm-hmm. is an important initiative? Um, by definition, if you have a lot of people in kind of classic Kaizen mode working on a lot of small improvements, none of those in and of themselves have an impressive ROI. So sometimes it begs the question of why bother? Well, you're building a culture. And as we've seen in Kinex's customer data, when, when you do lots of little improvements and you're building this culture and you're building enthusiasm and participation, then occasionally people are going to discover seemingly small ideas that have a huge impact. So if somebody is only concerned about the ROI, I think that case gets made. And then I think to the second question of, is it important during a recession? Um, I would say, yeah, probably even more so, you know, when organizations in different industries um, are, are going to feel price pressure. Well, we've got to do things to reduce costs. The thing I hope doesn't happen is organizations getting into cost-cutting mode and then laying off process improvement facilitators or professionals, which which I think is unfortunately very short-term focused and ultimately counterproductive. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Greg, what, what are your thoughts on other, ele- you know, either or both elements of that question? You're right, because the question when I initially read it, it really does take a turn when it says during during a recession. And, uh, you know, my immediate kind of thought process when I heard that was there is no more important time to make sure that you have these processes in place. Uh, one, we know that 
to get true employee frontline buy-in, that takes time. I mean, to, to develop these habits takes time. It's not something you can just turn on or off. Number two, we know that bottom-up improvement will often start with um, employee satisfaction ideas. Mm-hmm. Then the trend ends up going to customer satisfaction. And then we see the trend then going into cost-saving or cost-cutting measures. And so recognizing that that starting with cost-saving measures is going to kind of create a little bit of probably not the most natural and best way to create that discipline from an organization. But it also kind of feels at that point like you would only be doing the work because of a recession. Right. And really, to I think to to maximize that type of work, you need to do it before the recession, so those those habits are there. But I mean, there, there's you know, safety events aside from them affecting people's lives are extremely costly. Employee mm-hmm. retention is extremely costly to an organization, and then simply trying to find ways to save money um, is extremely beneficial. So there there really isn't a a better time to to be uh, an organization that has a culture of continuous improvement then during hard economic times, number one. Yeah. Number two, so that's that's kind of my initial answer. Number two, right. we are going into a recession. I mean, <laughs> there is not, not a question that at some point in the future, we will be in one, right? We The, the cycle. It happens. And so, um, so I, I don't, I don't know if, if perhaps maybe that could be used uh, to convince leadership, you know, going into, kind of leadership and saying, hey, we're going to go into this, they might think, oh, well, this person, this person's got some really knowledgeable economic insight. Um, and or at a minimum, if they don't think that they're thinking this person's kind of thinking more globally and, and holistically about what they're doing, and then kind of explaining why that benefit should exist. And then my third point is there's not a question in my mind, I haven't seen a study on this, but organizations that have cultures of continuous improvement, they adapt quicker. And people right. that are going to make it and succeed and, and thrive during hard economic times are going to be companies that can adapt quicker. So I, I think um, there's, and I think we're going to get into some other questions that will even dovetail into this, but we could probably spend uh, the full time just on this question alone. Yeah. But I, yeah. this shouldn't be, um, this going into recession, if it's, I think, pitched in the right way, shouldn't be a distractor from this. It can almost be the impetus to, to make sure yeah. you're doing this well at the organization. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I'll amplify your point that the time to start preparing for that is now, and building the 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 the, the skills and the experience and and getting ahead of the curve. Um, you know, a couple other thoughts come to mind when you're talking about cost. Um, I mean, I think you know maybe during a recession, people are more price sensitive, and that's an argument to try to help reduce cost so that we can absorb price pressure. Uh, yep. If there are price reductions, you can maintain profitability. I, you know, I would argue it's maybe also a time for broader process improvement in a way that provides better customer service, better quality, things that can help engender loyalty. Because I, I would imagine in tough econ- economic times, if you anger a customer, they might be quicker to say, wait a minute, what value am I really getting from this anymore? If it's something they have choice over. So I mean, I think there's an argument. And, and that's the beauty of Kaizen and Lean is that we can enhance safety, quality, customer service in ways that don't require throwing a ton of money at the problem, which I think is compatible. It's smart business, whether there's a recession or not. Um, one, one other point I was going to add, I mean, let's say there's a 
recession or there's a drop in auto sales, you know, I think you know when you take a look, and I think it's easy to predict how Toyota will respond. So you know, their their truck plant in San Antonio has been running over time, and Saturdays. Well, the first thing they'll do is scale that back, and people on one level might miss the overtime pay, but they've been running all out for a while, so that might give time for for a rest and and other improvement work. But let's say sales drop enough to where they're not doing full two shift, five day a week production, the, the history has shown that Toyota will not lay off full-time workers in the short term. They have temporary workers, they may let some of them go, but the full-time Toyota employees will be kept on the payroll doing things that are productive for the long-term of Toyota. They'll be getting training, they'll be working on process improvement, quality improvement. There are times in the past where they'll even send employees out to do Habitat for Humanity, which is building leadership skills and teamwork and, um, you know, other automakers generally will will lay off anybody they can. Anybody who's not doing direct productive work right now will get laid off. And I think that's a very different philosophy. Are you, are you looking long-term or short-term? And are you investing in people or do you treat them as a cost? Yep. So, um Thank you for that question, Verinder. Uh, we have another question here from Marsha. Um, so she works in the Central Continuous Improvement Office for the state of Iowa. So um, I've often applauded Iowa. I don't think we have a similar office in Texas. I'm not sure about Florida. So it's great to see people doing this type of work in government at different levels. But her question is, what are some standard measures used for improvement projects that could be rolled up to an overall measurement goal. So she says, I would like individual agencies to report measurements of the continuous improvement efforts to me so the state as a whole can report on improvements. So that's a great goal. Um, I'll, I'll address it from kind of a typical lean perspective. And then Greg, I know you can knock this question out of the park around yep. what Connexus customers are doing on this. But I mean, I think it's important to have standard measurements. Um, whether we look at you know lean or um, you know my days back in manufacturing with uh, you know under former Toyota people the mantra was always safety quality delivery cost and morale SQDCM and um, I think you can break those down or roll those up into measures that are consistent um, across an organization whether that's a manufacturing company or a hospital system. Or, um, or government. Um, so that, that's always been the mantra. And think back to the other question around goals and what's important, why is it important for continuous improvement? The, the acronym used to be taught as SQDC, that safety was the top priority. If you focus on safety, quality, and delivery, mm-hmm. which in healthcare might be access to care, if you do well in those three areas, cost reduction will follow as an end result. And then I think at some point there was discussion about morale and it got tacked on at the end, which I don't think is meant to imply morale is the least important thing. Arguably, to your point, Greg, about things that improve employee satisfaction, working on morale is the pathway to leading on, uh, leading to improvement on, on those other goals. Yeah, so I'm going to take a stab at this question, Mark, in, in a way that uh, kind of the, the reports of Kinexus are laid out. So I'm thinking 
what's the volume of improvements that have been completed at, at a particular division or a, a particular um, a site or a site a or yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I was trying to look for what what she was using as her has her an agency, kind of, an agency uh, at a particular agency. So I think by just simply knowing the volume that are completed, knowing the percent of those that are completed that resulted in a change, mm-hmm. yeah. and knowing the duration between when an improvement was made to when it was completed, will give you th- those vital signs. I'm going to call them being a physician by training will will give you a ton of insight into are they doing um, just a couple large scale projects that take a really long time to do or are they doing a lot of smaller scale projects that um, are rapid cycle change and and we know that if you're talking about developing a culture of continuous improvement you're talking about a a large number of rapid um, projects that have a high result in change. Because if your change rate is 1% on your opportunities for improvement or ideas, whatever your, you know, your OPs, whatever you're calling them, then you know you're doing an ideation system. You're just looking for the one in a hundred things to to um, to work on versus right. if you're changing at 75 or 80% or in Toyota's case, 95% of things that, that get brought up, then you're really identifying problems and working to find some kind of solution and, and then executing that solution. So I think that's yeah. um, super helpful from an activity standpoint in what it can tell you about the organization. Then, and I think you're, you're really looking at what's the engagement um, there. And so, so for one, Kinexus provides all those reports. So I'll just throw that in there. And all of those measures roll up from different parts of the organization all the yep. way up to a state level. So you can you can you can kind of look at any group of people at at, at any fidelity there. The, the second group is uh, is engagement, and so I'll I'll just say one statistic on engagement. If you have ninety percent of your improvement work happening from five percent of the people that work at a place, that is right. very different than having ninety percent of the improvement work happening at from ninety percent of the people that work at that place. And I'll let you answer the question, which of those places has a has a healthier culture? Right. And it's obvious that the place where 90% of the people are engaged, even if they're doing the same amount of activity at the end, that is a healthier culture because it's not relying on just a few people. And it gives the benefit of the those behaviors across that. Right. So that's another metric that uh, I would be thinking about. And, and yep, we have a whole bunch of other um, engagement reports in Kinexus, but that's, that's the one I, I want to highlight. And then finally, if there's a way to aggregate impact, I think then that will be uh, also critically important. Um, and I'll just describe how we do it in Kinexus, and that can translate into however, you, you're, whatever system you're using. Um, and of course, if you're interested in learning about how that exactly works in Kinexus, please let us know. But um, those are financial metrics that involve um, cost savings and revenue retention and cost avoidance. We've just added that large scale category. And then the qualitative metrics of satisfaction, of safety, and of time savings. Um, And so um, those are, um, I I actually should have put time savings in the the quantifiable metrics under the finance. And, but uh, I think you get the idea where it's it's really hard to, to put the impact. And so if there's a way just to categorize at these top level 
metrics, I think you're going to do a ton of good because then you can say, oh, look, 10% of the 10,000 improvements that the state of Iowa did in 2019 were related to safety. And then if, if someone could, you know, just give an idea of what was the one year cost savings or revenue generation of a improvement, then then it would it would allow you at a central way to aggregate. I wouldn't get bogged down though, because unless you have you know a complete standard on how you're getting impact, you, you could start to get kind of fishy data. So um, we, I hesitate to try to spend too much time and effort there when you know that hey, 25% of things we did related to to cost savings and and maybe if maybe the the simple one, just give us a single dollar amount of a one year cost savings. And that would be, you know, some data that you could probably easily aggregate. So hopefully that gives kind of two perspectives on that question on, yeah. on how to what you should be measuring. And I'd be interested if if folks think that there are other things that should be should be measured too. Um, be interested in, in hearing people's feedback at the end of this. Yeah. Or I'll invite people if you want to enter something in the chat box, um, if you want to share some of the things your organization measures and tries to roll up throughout the organization, we can read some of those off. I'll, I'll take, keep an eye on that. But um, yeah, I mean, just building a little bit more off what you said, I, I agree that duration is a really important thing to measure. Um, how long is it taking from the initial spark of something being captured to when something has been tested and evaluated and is closed out? Um, there was an organization outside of healthcare that brought me in a couple of years ago because uh, their reflection was that their organization had framed continuous improvement as big, huge projects. So it wasn't very continuous. It was project, big improvement. And the average length of time that these projects was open was literally years. Yeah. And many of the projects would basically just time out and become a moot point at some point because these monthly committee meetings just never really led to anything. So one of the things I taught them was really the Kaizen concepts of start small, engage people gotten discouraged by big, slow projects that didn't really lead to a whole lot, but um, trying to build engagement and enthusiasm through lots of small improvements. That helped get the ball rolling. And um, I, I heard from them a couple of weeks ago and the average duration has gone from years to weeks. Now to some people weeks, a month or two measure of weeks, that might sound slow, but to them that was huge progress because they're they're biting off smaller pieces and it's better to have something small, as long as we're not sub-optimizing by breaking down problem too much. I, I think there's really something to be said for focusing on that, that duration, that speed element. And That's then, great. Uh, it reminds me of Duhigg's uh, The Power of Habit, right? And so a habit is built when there's a cue, then there's a routine, and then there's a benefit of doing that. If that benefit, the time duration of that benefit is so long that it has no kind of relationship to the cue or to the, to the almost to the action, then you can't really build a habit. And mm -hmm. so you, you really want for people that are engaging in this to say, oh, we you know, it's did some work over the last hour, day, week, month or two. And this was the benefit of that when that's, I mean, aside from the fact that there's no way that it's still the same problem five years later or three years later, I mean, it, you might still have that problem, but there's probably different aspects of the solution 
um, then yeah. unless I guess unless you were thinking of oh well the problem is to build a you know, a ten mile tunnel you know underneath a river well right. that might take five or ten years to do but really that's not really one project to me that's hundreds of tiny little projects that you're trying to do sure. anyway yeah and then on um, final thought I mean you, you you talk about impact and benefits and I think it's important to point out not everything is. ROI, return on investment, which is inherently a financial calculation. Um, I was work, been working with um, an outpatient surgery center that was focused on reducing patient waiting times from arrival to going into the OR. And preliminary results from an initial wave of change show that that average has gone from about two hours to an hour and a half. Um, it's really hard to convert that then into, well, what was the ROI of reducing patient waiting time? That becomes very complex, very systematic. Um, how much word of mouth referral are they going to get because the patients, hopefully 90 minutes, I mean, 90 minutes is not as good as they're going to get. Um, are, are the surgeons going to be happier um, if they have some patients getting procedures that are basically repeat business, like it's hard. I, and I don't know, like at some point we're, we weren't stressing over calculating an ROI for that. It was just strategically, like, how is it, how is it a bad thing to reduce waiting times and have happier patients? What's the, what's the value of uh, an individual's hour? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's a hard right. number to come to. So. Yeah. So let, let's try to squeeze in um, one more question here. This Great. is from Felipe. Um, what are some of the key points that should trigger a Kaizen event? And I'll, I'll say thank you, Felipe, for saying Kaizen event as two words. Sometimes people say a Kaizen and when they really mean a Kaizen event because there are different types of Kaizen. So I think there's always um, a bit of a triage process, if you will. If we've identified a problem, we can ask, well, is that just a small Kaizen? Is that a, a just do it in a PDSA cycle? If we see a problem. Is there a reasonable hypothesis around, here's a solution that we can test and see if it works. I would say that's probably a small Kaizen. If there's an opportunity for deeper root cause analysis, we might then follow more of an A3 problem solving process. And then I think there's a question of, well, are we gonna work on this A3 over time? weeks or however long, or are we going to artificially compress that by forming a team and dedicating them 100% into a two-day or a three-day or a however many-day Kaizen event, right? So I think there's, there's a lot of pros and cons, but I think part of the question is, can you or do you need to do like sort of this big integrated change that might merit a Kaizen event? I'll tell you, at this outpatient surgery center, there was no way we were going to shut down operations or pull enough of people away for a dedicated Kaizen event. That was their initial vision of, oh, we're going to do a Kaizen event. But we finally talked through it and decided we were going to use the same discipline of a Kaizen event, but it was done over a matter of about a month of pulling people in for an hour here, 90 minutes there, getting people involved in an ad hoc way instead of being fully dedicated. Um, I, there, there's a lot of art. Sometimes we guess wrong. I've seen back when I worked in manufacturing, somebody said, oh, this needs to be a Kaizen event. And then we got partway into the first day and everyone said, wait a minute, this is really just kind of a small, simple improvement. Why, why do we have four days carved out for this? Um, so I think some of that 
decision-making maybe comes through experience. You build intuition. Sometimes you're going to guess wrong and then adjust. Have any thoughts on that, Greg? I think the, the thought I have that could add value to this question is what I've seen. And in fact, I was just talking to a COO of a pretty large medical center this past weekend, and they were working, this medical center had been working with a consultant, and, and that's really all the consultant did was a rapid improvement events. And I'm, I'm you know, Kaizen event, rapid improvement event, correct me, if, right. correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but those are essentially synonymous terms. Right. And right. so to me, the take-home point was I haven't seen an organization that that's all they do and they've developed a culture of continuous improvement because of that. And so I think it's probably a great methodology to solve uh, bigger problems that involve multi multidisciplinary kind of activities that you want to solve and, and make some headway very quickly on. But if it's the only tool in your toolbox, you're mm -hmm. going to, for one, um, start taking all problems and fitting them into the, the round yeah. hole square peg thing. But then two, I think you're really limiting. And I think after a couple of years, you're going to ultimately create a negative outcome from it. So I think if you're probably after two, three years of an organization, that that's the only thing that that organization is doing, you're probably holding yourselves back um, from a looking at it as a how how much could you accelerate and you might be actually hurting your efforts as well. Okay. So okay. I just kind of keep those in mind. And, and it seems like if I had to pick kind of three things to do or four things to do, I would say there's probably kind of an individual activity just do it and maybe something a little bit more complicated, like a, a, a little bit more, you know, involved A3. And then there's probably, you know, uh, kind of group activities compressed in time that you can call an event. Um, but maybe they're a 100 day workout or something. And then there's something a little bit more open ended that just we'll call a lean project for this. But yeah. there's probably four things that you need to have yeah. in the toolbox, if that makes sense, <laughs> yeah. well, at the end of the day. So, yeah, there's all these different variables, the size um of, of the opportunity right how many people should or can be involved is it local or is it cross-functional in the surgery center it was inherently cross-functional right we were looking at really the entire end-to-end -end patient process in different ways but um yeah i mean i would agree um not everything needs to be a kaizen event not everything needs to be an a3 but again not everything can be a small just do it yeah just do it type Kaizen. So I think, you know, we need a mix. And, you know, I'm reminded, I've, I've heard stories of the history of the Shingojitsu consultants coming into the U.S. And their intent was the Kaizen event, which is not something really that Toyota does, but these former Toyota people, where they, the, the design was that we we're going to do this impactful, we're going to make a lot of change in a structured way in four or five days. And that will demonstrate change as possible, and then, then that should be followed up with more ongoing Kaizen. But then I think part of the risk is that some organizations said, oh, Kaizen events are the improvement mode. Sometimes organizations want that too much. Sometimes consultants maybe are guilty of, of pushing that single approach um, too much. So we are, uh, we are basically out of time. But um, I mean, it's not like we have a hard cutoff, but we're going to plug a couple of things here. Um, I've put a link in the chat box. The next presentation style 
webinar. I, I mean, I, I normally like our webinars, but I'm really excited about this one because the topic of motivational interviewing is something that has been really important to me the last couple of years. So the title of the webinar is From Ambivalence to Action, Leadership Lessons from Motivational Interviewing. It's going to be presented by uh, Mark Valenti. He works for a health system in Pennsylvania. He's got uh, a clinical background, but has also um, figured out um, how to help apply this in, in terms of um, management and leadership. So Mark's been um, a, a good mentor for me. I've done a podcast interview with him before, and I'm really excited about the webinar. So you can sign up. It's September 10th. The link is in the chat box, or you can go to kinexus.com slash webinars. And then, Greg, I was going to ask you to mention uh, for uh, people who are interested, we have our upcoming user conference that we're now calling Kinexicon, if you can share a little bit about that. I'm excited yeah, about that. we are really excited about hosting. It's primarily for Kinexus customers, although we do invite prospective customers, especially if they already have a fairly kind of along the sales journey um, and uh, they they want to talk to other customers or want to see how people are using it. But it's in Austin. It's September 24th and 25th. We still have a few slots available. And uh, if you are, there, there's literally no better way to spend two days to get more out of Kinexus than coming to the, than coming to Kinexicon. You're going to see things that will blow your mind because our minds are blown in the way people share how they're using Kinexus. It's so configurable and you can make it really fit your improvement culture right. and your improvement work in, in such interesting ways that I'm always um, refreshed and invigorated and I learn tons. So please yeah. um, take a look at KinexCon 2019, Austin, 24th and 25th. And, and I'll add, it's not just about how to use Kinexus because our customers have a lot of passion around improvement. And so there's a lot of discussion about that. We've got a keynote speaker, Jess Orr, giving a talk, what I learned by leaving Toyota, as she's worked with other organizations. Um, there will be some talk about Kinexus and uh, the software. Um, I'm going to be giving a talk on the 25th. We're going to have panel discussions and uh, Jamie Parker is going to be giving a keynote talk on the art of asking good coaching questions. Um, so there's really, boy, even, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of great learning and discussion and sharing, not just from on stage to the audience, but all of the discussion and networking and sharing that's going to take place amongst the attendees. It's uh, as far as lean conferences go, or, you know, it's a relatively small, intimate event. So we think that's a plus. Anything else you want to add? Nope, got the thumbs up from you. So this has been episode 24. We'll we'll try to do episode 25 again in a month or two. Uh, 25 seems like something worth celebrating. We can wear party oh. hats or something to. 20, 25 does, and we we always make the decision. We'll make the decision on whether or not we have questions to answer in the next one, and we have. As more questions than we answer today than, than we do to, to answer for 25. So always look forward to this. We'll try to make it back yeah. to our monthly. The summer was absolutely nuts. So I think we, we were delayed a little bit there, but we'll get back into our monthly. And I, I always yeah. learn stuff from Mark. And so yeah. Likewise. And we have a queue of questions still coming in. Um, so we're going to have a lot to talk. We're, we haven't run out of stuff. So I apologize to those who have asked questions that we haven't gotten to yet, but 
a lot of these are rich questions that trigger a lot of discussion. So thank you for that. And Greg, thank you for taking time to do this. Thank you very much. Everyone have a great day. And uh, there's no better day than today to start improving. <laughs>